Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week, clearing the docket. And with me is the ghost of the Cape Cod Coliseum, (laughs) Judge John Hodgman. Oh, thank you for summoning me. Please use a regular voice, John. Please. (laughs) We have too much podcast to do for you to do. always said Savannah was a trap. (laughs) David Lindsay Bear, you know who I'm doing when I do that voice, right? I'm not quite sure. Okay, I'll give it. It's a TV personality. It's not Vincent Price. No, no, no. It's Mother a, always said mm-hmm. Savannah was a trap. <laughs> said that guy from the moth. Well, the guy from the moth, Edgar Oliver, famous Amazing. downtown. Edgar Oliver, yes. I know. You used the voice many that. times on the podcast. I should remember his name by now. No, that's okay. But I'm very glad that you're here and to hear your voice. Thanks. David Lindsay Abair is our guest today. Jesse Thorne, you know David Lindsay Abair, of course. David Lindsay Abair is a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. No. No. Why are you saying no, David? Because it's pronounced Pulitzer. <laughs> oh, okay. Classic Pulitzer burn, John. All right. That's fair. David Lindsay Abair is a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, screenwriter, lyricist. What do you call someone who writes the book for, for famous musicals? A bookist? A book writer. Book, book writer. Or a librettist. That also works, although it's- Or librettist. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking to him. I've already said his name five times. David Lindsay Abair, you know him from his Broadway plays Rabbit Hole and the film Rabbit Hole and Good People and Fuddy Mears. And now based on his play, Kimberly Akimbo, the new musical, Kimberly Akimbo with music by Janine Tesori and book and lyrics by, let's see here, who wrote the, oh, it's you, David Lindsay Abair. That's me. You will probably, listeners will probably also know him from my New York Times Magazine profile of him from 2005. And if you are Sam Potts, you will remember him from high school at Milton Academy in Milton, Massachusetts. David, Shout out hello. to Sam Potts. Hi. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Before before we began recording, uh, Jesse Thorne, my, my co-host and our bailiff, and I learned two things that I didn't know. Mm. And this is embarrassing for me because I wrote a professional profile of you. And I missed somehow that you were a listener to Maximum Fun Podcast, specifically oh, yeah. Jordan yeah. Jesse Go. Yes. Which is a terrific podcast that everyone should listen to. Agreed. And also that you decorate your house all up for Halloween in an elaborate style, rivaling our own house Halloween decoration specialist, Aiden, the the, the young man who co- from Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Well, sorry, Aiden. Mm-hmm. One of those. <laughs> Who co-runs the the Wikipedia for the Spirit Halloween store? Yes. What category would you suggest those two states are in together, John? Those are the submarine sandwich states. They're the, or pork, what? the, they're the pork roll states. <laughs> Got it. Or Taylor Ham. Anyway, or Hoagie. I have to say, David, before we go any further, I I have this message out of the blue because we haven't been we haven't seen each other for a while, and you know, only through fault of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and other intrusions, but I got this invitation to go see this uh, this new musical called Kimberly Akimbo. I was like, wait a minute, Kimberly Akimbo? That was the name of a play that that David Lindsay Abair wrote. I know that I wrote a profile of him. I like him a lot. Turns out you and Janine got together to write a musical about it, and now it's on Broadway. And I was invited to the opening night, and I've never been to the opening night of a Broadway show before. And um, if you were trying to uh, butter me up, you didn't have to. 
because the work the work stood on its own. It was an amazing, amazing Broadway show. Thank you. Uh, I really love this musical. Please, everyone, if you are coming to New York this spring, buy your tickets now and pay twice the price, <laughs> whatever they're selling them for. People like to get bargain tickets to Broadway, David Lindsay and Bear. Yeah. This show's so good, you should pay double. Thanks, John. I know you're not one for plugs on this show, so this is doubly meaningful. Thank you. I wasn't sure you were even going to mention the show. I've been mentioning the show on the show. I know you listen to Jordan Jesse Go mostly, but I've mentioned I've I've been mentioning it. My recommendation, John, for folks who want to pay double is if they will not accept double at the box office, pay full price, but then sneak in at the intermission. So okay. then technically you're paying double. Then you're technically you're paying double. There's also um, lots of merch that is for sale in the lobby. If you're looking to dump you extra get cash. There you go. And it's a and it's a really heartwarming and funny and and moving and hilarious and good show about a teenager who has a condition whereby she appears quite old. Mm. And um, she's going to, you know, going through teenager stuff with a, with a, with a challenging family. And um, then she meets a nice nerd and things kick off from there. Does that seem fair? And there are songs. Lots of singing. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of singing yeah. and lots of lots. And it is, a, it is a musical comedy, but it is also one that is very touching. And it is called Kimberly Akimbo. And it is playing right inside from the merch area. When you go by, what's the name of the venue? It's called the Booth Theater on Broadway. It's called the Booth Merch Booth, where you mm -hmm. get your Kimberly Akimbo stuff. Yep. And if you walk through the doors, you're going to discover it's not just a sweatshirt shop. Nope. There's a show. They also got a show that goes yeah. along with all this just stuff. Just pass by Kimberly that. Akimbo. First, buy yep. a shirt. Then go in and take your seat. Here's another thing that I learned when I was um, profiling you, David Lindsay of Bear, is you like, you like board games. You play board games. Yes. You, uh, you got a whole, you had a whole, uh, this is before it was really popular to play board games. I'm talking about, you know, like tabletop gaming has had a real resurgence among adults. Wait, John, before it was popular to play board games? <laughs> what, when was Go invented, John? No, I'm not saying that board games haven't been a part of the tapestry of our human lives across every culture. I'm just saying that it wasn't until I was on the Jonathan Colton cruise in 2011 for the first time that I realized, Oh, that David Lindsay, a bear guy, he's, he's got his finger on the pulse. Tabletop gaming is really happening among adults these days. And when you, when David, when you showed me your closet full of board games, uh -huh. you know, I had my reporter's notebook there mm -hmm. and I was basically writing down, um, we got a weirdo, but that's not true. <laughs> no, I, I, I like, I liked board games before they were ironic. How about that? Yes. Yeah, that's right. There was no irony. We just enjoyed them. David, what's the most complicated board game that you play regularly? Hmm. Complicated. I don't know that I like too many of the complicated games. Those are the ones that I... Like, look, I didn't play it, but I remember having Catan's <laughs> explained to me. And right. it just seemed impossible, all the trading in of things and the building up of things. And that's my least favorite kind of game where my brain has to work too hard. I mean, risk can be complicated and, you know, obviously involves a lot of, of thinking. But yeah, I don't, I don't take those games too much. What's your favorite board game to play? Um, you know, that's, that's a 
look, growing up, I obviously loved the classics. I love Scrabble and Monopoly right. and Clue. Risk right. has been mentioned. Battleship, one of my favorites, and I haven't seen it in a long time. And I only just thought of this because of your your voice earlier. Was the game Stay Alive? Do you remember this game? Uh, no, but I'm curious to hear this connection. Well, it was sort of a grid where you would, you would put all of your marbles on the grid and there were little holes under them that the, yeah. that your teammates would pull a lever. And if your marbles oh, right. disappeared, yes. then you wanted to be the last marble standing. But what I remember was the Vincent Price did, Vincent Price did the commercial. And the last oh, line sure. was, I'd, I'd be happy to teach you how to play, but there's no one left. I'm the sole survivor. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you remember that commercial? That was a, that was yes, I do that is that just came back to me. Yeah. I did spend some time watching some some uh YouTube videos of old commercials for board, classic board games and they yeah. are it, it was a real trip. Anyway, that was one of my favorites and I know this is a controversial answer and will probably get me kicked off the podcast, but no. I always did love Boggle. Sorry. I know, yeah, you, you I know. know you hate it. I know. I just don't care. First of all, not a board game. Fair enough. Not a board game. Fair it's enough. in a cube. It's a cube game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like it's more of a Borg game. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it's wow. the opposite, isn't it? Wow. it? Because it's the panic aspect that I loved most. Because there are a few of those games that like, uh, do you remember Perfection? Which had I was the... just going to, I was just trying to remember the name of that. And I was like, what was that game that was so scary? Was it desperation? <laughs> Perfection and superfection, which was you had to p put two pieces together and then put them in the board. But I actually did bring a prop. Oh, no. And you're madly trying to put the pieces in before they explode in your face. It's terrifying. Anyway, Boggle is like wait, that. And Wait a minute. I thought you were, the thing didn't pop. No, no, I didn't. No. Look. You didn't set the timer. No, I didn't put in the pieces. It causes me too much anxiety. Yeah, perfection was a quote unquote game <laughs> in which you you had various little shapes that you would fit into corresponding holes on a plastic tray that was depressed and attached to a string. And before you started playing, you set a timer and you tried to put them in as quickly as possible because if the timer flipped or whenever the timer flipped, that tray would pop up and all the pieces would fly into your face and you'd scream. Yeah. And it was the, probably the worst feeling I, I mean, I'm very lucky if that's the worst feeling I had as a child, but just thinking about it right now made me queasy. Yeah. You brought it out and showed it to me on camera on our little teleconference here. You're welcome. And it, it freaked me right out. Sorry. Perfection. There you go. Yeah. Here's a case from AJ. Hang on, Jesse. The problem, yeah. look, everyone likes what they like, David Lindsay. Oh, here we go. And I love you. Mm-hmm. So the, if you like Boggle, go for it. To me, I don't understand why those, how you can possibly say you're making words out of letters that are going in different directions. <laughs> what does the direction I mean? matter? The letters are still there. <laughs> if this doesn't upset you on a, a, a visceral level the way it does me, then good for you. I wish I were in, I wish I had your brain. No, I love Instead, it. The I'm madness still, of it, the scrambling, it was just... Ah, I'm just still just I thinking about it. Another timed game. All the right. fact that that other game was named Perfection, I realize I need to talk to a therapist about that. <laughs> because it's, I think that may have instilled for me my, my true obsession with and terror of perfection. I feel like we're really getting deep into both our neurodivergences and neurodiversities and, John... Our relationship to our single childdom. Right. 
Like, I truly, the only board game I can play would be against my mom and only if she lets me win. Yeah. Perfection is a game that you can only play against yourself. Put that on some merch. Can we sell it at the Booth Theater? Done. Can we have a Judge John Hodgman pop-up shop Yep. next to the Kimberly Akimbo stand? Yep, on it. Perfection is a game you only play against yourself. Well done. Board games do speak to some deep, atavistic, visceral... Uh, impulses, and we're going to explore some of them now, and I hope to spend some justice. Bailiff Jesse Thorne? Here's a case from AJ in Brooklyn. A few years ago, my wife and I were playing the board game, The Game of Life. When the game ended, she had more kids, but I had more money. Each of us thought we had won. (laughs) We're still uncertain about who actually won and what's considered winning in The Game of Life. Do you know? Do you ever play The Game of Life? David Lindsay Bear? Yes. And I don't, I only have one photo of my brother on my desk. And look at this. What? I don't know if you can see it. I know this is silly for a podcast, but it is my brother holding up the game of life, which he got for Christmas that year. And we played it. And this is at his 40th birthday party. That's his 40th birthday party. Yes, that's right. No, he's probably 11 in that picture. He really loved the game of life and you played it. Many times. Mine was not a game of life household. And I think it's because in the ads, I was familiarized enough with the game that I know that you, your token was a car and, in the, and you accumulated family. And in the ads, one of the things that they always said is like, I had twins. And I think my sibling aversion was so strong that I wanted nothing to do with that game. <laughs> you were worried you'd have to share resources. I had never had to share a backseat of a car in my life. And, uh, and nor was I going to, even in this game. So David Lindsay Abair, this is a grim game mm. that follows you from birth through career, major life choices. You can end, you can end up being, becoming a movie star or inheriting a skunk farm. Mm-hmm. And the end game is the grave. I mean, they call it retirement. <laughs> But uh, that none of this sounds fun to me. Why did you like this game? Well, I didn't love it. I said I played it a lot, but I, I found it deeply problematic, and I was not so interested in picking up a bunch of kids, and I would always, right. you know, take whatever route was not that route. Um, so, I yeah, it wasn't one of my favorites. I think, you know, when we, my brother got it, we were very young, so it seems like this is, this is designed for grownups or something. It was not something that I was interested in. Could you choose like a a dual income, no kid route on the game of life? I think so. I remember ending the game without children in my car most of the time. It seemed like the whole thing was very organized around uh, reinforcing some pretty patriarchal uh, middle, what they would call middle class values. For sure. You have kids, you make money. I remember in one of the ads, a kid kind of sighs and goes, I wish I had bought insurance. (laughs) This doesn't seem fun to me. (laughs) Yeah. This does not necessarily reflect my values. Is there a a pathway in the game of life where it's like you can choose, you can choose to pursue a life in the theater? It's not on there. No. No. It's not on there, right? No. I choose drinking problem and third divorce. (laughs) I don't remember that part. I think that that would probably be a pretty, an, um, an addendum to the game of life would be pretty good. Great. The kid throws his fists up in the air. I want a Pulitzer. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, who wins? The person who has the most kids or the person who has the most money? That's the question from AJ in Brooklyn. What is your opinion, David Lindsay of Bear? Or what is the facts? I don't know what the well, if I, are. Well, if I do remember, I mean, I think it is adding up how much money you have at the end. But I think if you have kids, then for every kid you turn over what's called a life tile, which is given a money value. So I think it's a pretty straightforward answer that you add up the life tiles with whatever stack of cash you have at the end, unless I'm misremembering the game, but that's what I remember. Oh, so the light, so whoever has the most life tiles at the end wins? Well, it is, it and, is, a life tile is given a value of money like this, whatever it is, this life tile is worth $10,000 and add it to your pile. Um, yeah, my kids are not worth $10,000. Nor mine, nor mine. Yeah. There are a variety of life tiles you can get. Uh, which all translate directly to money at the end of the game. Got it. Got uh, it. If you if you have children, that's worth money, and of course, if you retire at millionaire estates, you have the chance to receive four additional life tiles. If you are the richest person to retire there, and whoever has the most life tiles wins, right? And then they and then and they get shot out of the middle of the of the theater like in Logan's Run, and they renew and they get another body or something. That you have right. your money. All the life tiles are worth money. You add it all up, and then I I'm just looking at the the wiki for uh, the uh, game of life. Uh, After the part about adding up your money and the player with the most money wins the game, it says, "Playing by the rules. Sometimes life doesn't work out the way you want it to, and that's also true." In the game of life, wow. even if you do not get the salary you want or end up with a car full of kids, you must continue to play by the rules. Oh. If you try to cheat your way to success in the game, just as in real life, you will find that you will probably fail before you reach the top. Wow, that's dark. Not only inappropriately unfun for a game, but also a pack of lies. Pack of lies. Uh, no, people who play by the rules succeed all the time if your value is making enough money in millionaire estates. Here, the only good thing about the game was the spinner. Yeah, I the thing that I remember most vividly about the game of life is the tactile experience. Over there at Jody Scott's house, I believe Jody Scott was my friend that had the game of life, of the ridges on that white plastic spinner mm -hmm. And the clickety clack as it turned like a uh, like a carnival game wheel. Yeah, David Lindsay Bear just held one up to the screen. Yeah, this was it. What you I, came with props? Well, I didn't. You know, the carrot top of podcast. Um, <laughs> there are a few games we that I had as a kid that I, we actually have in the house, and this is one of them. So, and this spinner is not nearly as satisfying as the one that I had, but I'll do it. But you, it doesn't sound the same. Yeah, it's not very good. It's okay. You ever play the game of uh, Sorry with the pop, the pop? Uh... Is that the no, one that that's the Trouble. Pop? Oh, right. Which is you ever right played here? Oh. <laughs> trouble had the the dice popping mechanism. The popomatic. The popomatic. This right. is the end of my props. Are you tired of manual popping? Well, I loved news. it. That was the best thing about Trouble. There were several popomatic games. There was also Headache, and there was. Uh -huh. uh, Double trouble. That's Jesse's favorite game. Is it headache? Yeah, I still play headache to this day. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> I think I might have given you one. Apologies. No, those kinds those kinds of uh, uh, game design innovations could move a lot of units. I don't think anyone played trouble because of the game design. 
I certainly played Save the Whales because of the handsome pewter humpback that came with it. It was a cooperative game. The goal was to save the whales. Nothing has ever been more 1988 than that. Right. It came with some sun-dried tomatoes and a kiwi fruit. (laughs) Um, If you want to play Trouble Without the Popomatic, then it really pretty much is Sorry. That's the same game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the only the only reason the people bought Trouble was for the Popomatic. Otherwise, yeah. it was a, a literal sorry knockoff of sorry. And they're but, both but, knockoffs of Parcheesi, I would say, right? Oh, well, we'll save the Parcheesi talk for later. Okay. We got, we got a lot of the cheese coming. But what are we saying to AJ here? Oh, yeah. The rules of the game of life are they who dies with the most toys, aka the most money, wins. Like that old crummy poster that you would see in a frat house. That's the rules of the game of life. And the other rule of the game of life is the game of life wants you to play by the rules because that's how they get the suckers. The rules are for you, not for the game of life. So my, in my opinion, if your values, AJ's spouse, are to have love and family, then you won but technically AJ won because AJ got the most money. Here's something from Hayden in Long Beach. My brother Shane and I have a dispute about scattergories. In this game, you get prompts such as vegetables or places you go on vacation. A 20-sided die provides a random letter. Then you list things that start with that letter for each prompt. So for vegetables, you might say kale if you rolled a K, or beans if you rolled a B. In this case, first of all, beans are legumes. Yeah, I was just about to say we're going to get a lot of letters. Man. Don't don't get Jesse started on beans. (laughs) Big, fat, juicy beans. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's my favorite part of waiting for Guffman. In this case, uh, the category was things babies use. We rolled a G. My brother Shane said, gloves. (laughs) We argued about this until the whole room was uncomfortable. Do babies use gloves? David Lindsay Bear, do babies use gloves? I mean, babies can use anything, but that, no, that seems silly. It should be specific to babies, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that babies... Let's put a pin in that. Do you play scatter gloves? No, they don't even use gloves. You'd put mittens on a baby. You don't can't get those tiny little fingers into a glove. That's a ridiculous answer. Wait a minute. Do you know about Rich Uncle Pennybags, the mascot from Monopoly? Go on. What about a baby version of him for Monopoly babies? <laughs> yeah, what if there was Monopoly baby edition? What then? What if it was Rich Nephew Pennybags and he wore little gloves and a tiny top hat and a little tiny but little evening gloves white evening gloves and he's like going around saying goo goo gaga capitalism yeah what if top hats started with g then baby money bags would wear it and it would start with g and it would be a perfect example for this game what about that i can't think of a of a thing that babies use that starts with g that isn't gloves honestly can you david Lindsay a bear i'm not good at this game it's categories myself no, babies, no, I'd what, fail. Something babies use. Good, 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 I mean, you good. say goo goo gaga. Go, you're trying goo, to figure goo, it out. Ga, you say goo goo gaga. Figuring it yeah, out. Gara- garage door opener. That's what they Doesn't, use. Yeah. <laughs> Galoshes. Garburator? Go, a garburator. Galoshes. 
Gnomes. Gir- ba- giraffe, a toy giraffe, a baby, yeah. a baby might use. Yeah, it was a tough one. I would say, I would say, guess what, Aiden? That was a tough God's one. providence. I was that God or whatever. Sure, mm-hmm. providence. That would be if, like, the baby wanted to survive babyhood in the Middle Ages or something. Would use God's providence. Yeah, were you playing Middle Ages categories, Aiden, or present day categories? Uh, it is, of course, categories is one of the oldest games that's been played since since the uh, Persian Empire. No, it was invented in 1988, and that's a tough one. I get, I, you're right, you got a tough one there, Hayden. Shane did the best Shane could, but Shane was wrong. Babies don't use gloves. And note to listener Kit, you are right. You also had a categories dispute. And Kit, guess what? You win this one. In the topic of fictional characters, starting with G again, your husband Nate was wrong to suggest George the Great Gangly Galloping Grape Gorilla because he had just made that up on the spot and that doesn't count. Nate was saying, well, it's a fictional character. I just made him up. It's got to be a pre-no. No. Boo, right? Boo. Yeah, it's not. Out. And he was trying to get those extra points by putting in all those extra Gs. No. The correct answer would be glove baby. Glove ah. baby. Exactly right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do one better. I'd say the top fictional character starting with a G, God. I look forward to your oh, letters. Wow. Dar, wow. Wow. We're gonna take a quick break to hear from this week's partners and avoid lightning bolts. Yeah. We'll be back with more cases to clear from the docket on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from 
Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket this week with Pulitzer Prize winner David Lindsay Abair. Here's a case from Corey in Arlington, Virginia. Growing up, I was never able to finish a game of Clue. My cousins always insisted the characters could only enter and exit rooms through open doors. I argued that any door printed on the board is usable. I believe the visual distinction is only to provide variety on the board. They argued the game designers would not have included both open and closed doors if they didn't intend for there to be a difference between the two. Who is right? David Lindsay Barry, you ever play the game of Clue? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Cluedo, they call it in, in the UK. Yeah. Do you know why? I don't know why. I don't know why. Because they haven't got a clue. Well... I think probably they already had a clue. Was, they had to have had some other clue, and through British oh. copyright, they couldn't. I don't know. But if you know why, listeners, please write a letter to Hodgman at MaximumFun.org and explain why clue is known as Cluedo in other countries. That's why Tim Curry had to move to America. <laughs> I never saw the movie Clue, not even one of its endings. Oh, very funny. It's very funny. Really? Okay. Madeline Kahn, especially, is very good. It takes a long time to get started. Yeah. That's something you don't remember when you uh, only remember it from your childhood. Just sitting back in 1987 eating a kiwi mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, boy, does it not get funny for half an hour. Okay. So much exposition. In Clue, what character did you like to play, David Lindsay of Bear? Who would you grab? Colonel Mustard every time. Colonel Mustard every time. Yeah. Did you have like the edition, we had the photographs on the front? The 1970s edition, they had actors posing as these characters. And I remember Colonel Mustard did some sweet mutton chops. That's what I love best, those mutton chops. Yeah. That's exactly the edition that I had. Yeah. Who'd you like to play, Jesse Thorne? Have you ever played? Miss Scarlet all the way. Miss Scarlet all Ironic, the way. Ironic. Our audience at home can't see this. David Lindsay Abair right now wearing Scarlet. I am wearing mustard. Huh. I'm wearing blue, which would make me Mrs. Peacock. peacock? Yeah, Peacock. And Valerie Moffat, our, our, who is editing and uh, producing this episode, did you ever play Clue? I have played Clue one time um, in college, and I remember almost none of it. Did you remember what character you played? 
No, I, I think I would have gone for like a Colonel Mustard just for the sideburns. Um, right. But no, I, yeah, I, I don't remember, unfortunately. According to this, Mrs. Peacock, and by this I mean the internet, the Wikipedia page, Mrs. Peacock has an immediate advantage of starting one space closer to the first room than any of the other players. <sighs> just a little, that's just a little clue hack out there for people. But I would always play Professor Plum because, um, nerd yeah. always yeah. always you looked at the variety of characters and thought which of these knows it all <laughs> that's right which of these which of these people looks most likely to never be threatened with a hug or a kiss from anyone <laughs> and to and to live and to live his life in complete asexual seclusion and maybe in a, a house with a turret and some edward gory uh prince somewhere in Cape Cod or something like that. That was, that was my dream, Professor Plum. In any case, um, what do you think about this question, David Lindsay Abair? Well, I'm trying to remember. I think we used all the doors. I feel like the walls were clearly marked yes. and that there was an open space. Whether the door was open or closed on the board, there was an open space to enter. That's how I remember it, at least. Do you remember how many of the rooms can you name off the top of your head? Oh gosh! Do you really want me to start listing them? Uh, the 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 hall, the ballroom, yeah. the conservatory, the library, yeah, the kitchen, yep, uh, the billiard room, yep. the dining room, yep, the study, yep, hmm. aviary, no, but there was apiary. There, you're one you're one away. This is amazing. Oh, I am. Is there a music room? Have you have you that? Wouldn't that be the conservatory? Oh yeah, that's that make that's exactly. Right. Have you said the ballroom? I Maybe you said I it and I missed it. Oh, yeah, then you got it. Then you won. Oh, I'm sure I missed a couple, but okay, thank you. No, 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 you didn't miss it. You didn't miss a single one. The kitchen. Did you uh -huh. say the kitchen? I thought I did. Yeah, I think you said them all. Oh, yours comes one. The lounge. I didn't say the lounge for wow. sure. Yeah. Did I say the library? I might have missed the library you did. too. N no, no, you said the library. Okay. And anyway. the you probably don't have enough travel points for the lounge. I think you're right. Yeah, that the door the door to the lounge is closed to those of us who are no longer diamond medallion members. Now I'm merely a platinum medallion member as of February first of this year. I'll talk about that later. But uh but I, I am looking at the at the nineteen seventies era board that you and I would have used, David Lindsay a bear. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very there are no it's basically gaps in the walls mm -hmm. with the word door. And then when I look to the 1980s version, there are many doors, and but the, and they are all closed, but they are in the same places. What Corey is describing here, that there are some doors that were open and some doors were closed, I don't see that at all. In the 70s, they were all open. There were no doors at all pictured. In the 80s, there are doors in all those spaces and they are closed, but there are no open ones. You had to go through those doors. I think this is a clear case of cousin malfeasance. I think our big mistake here, seeing that Corey is from Arlington, Virginia, is not asking my aunt, Arlington, Virginia-based real estate agent, Debbie Miller, lifestyle transition specialist. If you've got a lifestyle transition coming up in Northern Virginia, or a parent does, Google Debbie Miller. She'll help you out. Here's the lifestyle I want, Jesse. Maybe she can help me out with this. I want a lifestyle where I have a house that has a library and a study and a lounge. There are too many rooms in this place. Too many rooms. No wonder they got up to murder. David Lindsay Bear, did you like the game of Clue? 
Oh yeah, I really liked it a lot. Yeah. What was your favorite murder weapon to fondle? I found the candlestick quite satisfying. Yeah. Got to be a sperm whale, right? I was, I was a no. That I don't think they introduced that till later. It was later, yeah. I was always a lead pipe guy. Okay. I always liked, the, or the the rope had a good a good feel. Had a nice ridge to it. Had a nice ridge to it. Yeah, but the rope was the only one that was not metallic. It's, it's plastic. Tr- yeah. Oh, right. Plasticky beige. Top token in Monopoly. We're going to get to Monopoly after the break, but but uh, top token. You want to think it over, or do you know it right off the top of your head? I mean, off the top of my head, I think top hat, of course. Top hat, like a baby wears? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, before we get to Monopoly, I think we got some scrap. Oh, by the way, uh, Corey, your cousins were lying to you, as cousins always do. Here's something from Anna in Chicago. Sometimes when I play Scrabble with my mom, I hesitantly attempt to play a word and say something like, I think this is a word? My mom then asks what I think it means. I take a guess. She shakes her head and says, no. And I withdraw the word and play my pathetic backup word. (laughs) Later in the game, my mom will play the same word, smugly giving the correct definition. Judge, this has led to some of the worst fights my mother and I have ever had. I now refuse to play with her. Please rule the only requirement for playing a word in Scrabble is that the word appears in the Scrabble player's dictionary. Dave Lindsay Bear, I saw you shaking your head as you listened to, to this this plea from Anna in Chicago. What's yeah. your reaction to this? Well, I'm sure her mom is a delightful person, but this question infuriates me. No, no, it makes me very angry. <laughs> I'm not. This question is horrible. It is not a game of definitions. There is a rule in Scrabble that if you want to challenge it, you challenge it, and then you go to the dictionary. At no point do you have to give the definition of a word. That's an entirely different game. When I first got the Scrabble bug up there in Prince Edward Island with the parents of my friend Peter Rosenmeier, Jesper and Rosamund Rosenmeier, two of the greats, unfortunately, they're no longer living, but um, they taught me a lot of things. This is my family. Uh, Jesper was from Denmark originally, and and they lived next door to us in Brookline, Massachusetts. And David Lindsay and Bear, they celebrated Christmas. And when they celebrated Christmas, you know how they lit their, their Christmas tree? Go on. Live candles. Yeah, I was afraid oh, you were going to say that. <laughs> Live candles. They do it right in Europe. That's they knew madness. how to do it madness. right. Of course, it's of course it was totally totally bananas, and yet they did it. It was one of the most beautiful things I ever saw. And the candle holders that they would hang on the branches of the tree had counterbalances, so they were always upright. I don't think you can buy those anymore. They're like lawn darts. We're not allowed to have nice things in this country. Anyway, one of the nice things they had was Scrabble. They played Scrabble, and they took no prisoners. But when when they were teaching their kids to play Scrabble. It was a rule that you could play a word if you weren't sure how to spell it or what it meant. You could look it up in the dictionary and play that word. And that way it was a learning tool. You, you, you gained vocabulary. But nowhere in the Scrabble rules does it say you have to know the definition of the word that you're playing. How are you on your two-letter words, David Lindsay at Bear? Pretty good. Pretty good. Would you say you're Okay. <laughs> 
Boo. Also not acceptable two-letter word, I don't believe. I approve. Wow. Oh, okay. And the joke, not in the word, but that's all right. Yeah. That was a good joke, I have to admit. Yeah. But like, I remember that OE, OE. We am okay at it. <laughs> me and Jordan are okay at it. OE, OE is a two-letter word that I believe means a kind of a wind. It describes a certain wind. Okay. And Al, A-L is an East Indian tree. An East Indian tree. There we go. I I was going to say, I was going to say like a branch of a tree because I don't Maybe I'm wrong. No, I bet you're right. Al definition. Well, this feels like a game right now. I'm getting tense. (laughs) I hope I win. Al is a, well, you know what? I'm almost certain that you're correct. You're right. When I look it up on the internet, it says, yes, Al is a Scrabble word. And is worth two points in Scrabble and three points in words with friends, which I do not recognize because, as I've said before, there is no words with friends. There's only Scrabble with enemies. Yeah. And that Al is a valid Scrabble word. And then it says nothing else because the definition does not matter. Does not matter. And this mom that you have, Anna, out there in Chicago. This mom should know better. Don't you agree, David Lindsay Abair? Yeah, and I think she does know better. I think she's just wanting to win. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> but this is, I mean, you know, like like this mom is out here teaching her daughter that she's supposed to know the definition of the word in order to play it. That's not the, that's not the rule. That's not even the, um, unless it's the house rule, but Anna doesn't know. If it were the house rule, it would be agreed upon, right? It would be like, exactly. this isn't the rules, but this is the way we play. The way the Rosenmeyers would play it, you can look up a word in the dictionary if you if you aren't sure how to spell it, because we want you to learn words, because you're children. If this were a mom saying to her daughter, and I don't know Anna's age, but like her child saying, you know, we're only going to play it if we know the definitions of the words, because that's how we're going to learn vocabulary. Mm-hmm. That would be one thing. But as far as I know, Anna is an adult, and her mom has been lying to her entire life about the rules of Scrabble. You know, the worst part of that story, though, is that the mom then puts down the same word and gives the proper, that's just diabolical, and then says, oh, here's the real definition. That's just yeah. horrible. Well, I, I, I agree that cruelty is definitely a part of Scrabble. There's no question about that, but this is cruelty based on misdirection. Yeah. That's not, it's not fair, Anna's mom. And look, you're punished. Anna won't play Scrabble with you anymore. Was it worth it? I'm going to go so far as to, and this is, I've never done this on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Oh. I'm going to tell all the Scrabble players in Chicago, stay away from Anna's mom. Anna's mom, you are banned from all the Scrabble tables in Chicagoland. You want to get a game going, a Scrabble, you might have to go to Indiana, you might have to go to Wisconsin. She's going to have to become a riverboat Scrabbler. Until she gets found out. Scrabblers talk. That's what they said in Poker Face. Scrabblers talk. Band. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a case about Parcheesi. And what about something called butt money? Butt money. B-U-T-T money. So good. When I turn in that lifetime, I got to win. <laughs> you automatically. Yep. Yeah. Automatic win. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Judge Hodgman, it's March. That is big news for us. Yep. Rabbit, rabbit, as they say. March is here. And that means March Madness. And we've got a real doozy of a bracket. Is it a sports bracket, Jesse? No, sir. It is not a sports bracket. Why would anyone bother with a sports bracket during March Madness when they could focus on a much, much more important bracket? Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago, we have a listener named Jared from New York who wrote in asking this podcast to pronounce a certain song, Empire of the Clouds by Iron Maiden, the best song about zeppelins blimps or airships now it's a great song and that might be true but as i said back then and i'm saying again now how can we know unless we vote on it so we've created a a march madness style bracket of 32 songs about blimps airships balloons any lighter than air travel (laughs) some of some of them are a little bit of a stretch they're all submitted by you the listeners And now's your chance to vote on them starting right now. So Marie Barty from our friends, the Blank Check podcast, uh, put together this bracket. Uh, You can find it on all our social media. You find the links on our social media uh, at Judge John Hodgman on Instagram, Facebook.com slash Judge John Hodgman, MaximumFun.Reddit.com. It's going to be a real bonanza. All my money is on the Drexel Dragons. Um, But we'll see who comes out on top. There's going to be four polls a day between March 1st and 4th, then two polls a day from March 5th through 11th, then our final poll on March 12th, and we'll find out what the the greatest song of all time about lighter-than-air travel is. We're going to get to announce it in the second week of Max Fun Drive. It's going to be very exciting. And I just want to thank everyone who already voted. I, I did do an initial poll as to what we should call this blimp fight to end all blimp fights uh, with a March Madness theme. Um, I'm, I want to thank everyone who voted. Some of you suggested things such as float cella or blimp board hot 100 or March dirigible derangement. But as of this count, 69.7% of you agreed that this is to be called March. Oh, the humadness. 
Only 17.58% of you th- thought it should be the much more clear March. Oh, the humanityness. Though we're calling it March. Oh, the humanness. So get on the socials, find those, whether it's the Facebook group, whether it's the Reddit group, whether it's our Twitter accounts, you'll find the place to vote. Get out there and vote. We'll get it done. I'm kind of thinking up, up and away is going to be fifth dimension. Up, up and away by the fifth dimension is indeed in this first round of voting. And it's up against the blimp by Captain Beefheart. <laughs> so <laughs> when you go to the polls, when you go to the polls, you can listen to all the songs because we have links to all the to all the YouTube videos for the songs. So you can decide for yourself. So I know who I'm voting for in that one. Do you? Go to the polls. And thank you, Marie Barty, for pulling this together after I was incapable of doing it. After weeks and weeks and weeks, Marie was able to do it in 24 hours. It's incredible. I have uh, mentioned several times in this episode, uh, Kimberly Akimbo is one of the best Broadway musicals that I have seen in a long, long time. And I really love it. And you should check it out. If you get through New York, uh, check it out. But this message is specifically for Tony voters. If you are someone who votes in the Tonys, just I'm uh, look, you know what to do. Just vote Kimberly Akimbo straight up and down the ballot for in all categories. Best everything. I also want to reiterate that our friends Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who have been on this show, and so they're your friends too, have created this wonderful show on Hulu called Up Here, in which I play a small part, and yet nonetheless is some of the most fun I've had on camera ever. Because this is the this is the best cast assembled. I'm going to say I'm going to say it, Jesse. Since bored to death. Wow. The fun and the chemistry that these these people have, and the quality of their performances. Uh, holy guacamole! May Whitman, Carlos Valdez, Kenny Finneran, so many more. Broadway legend Brian Stokes Mitchell is showing up. It was just such a delight, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I really, really do hope you check it out on Hulu, March 24th. All. Eight episodes will be released on March 24th, and I hope you tell some friends about it because it's a really special show, and I really had a great time making it, and I hope you will enjoy it too. Jesse Thorne, what do you got going on? Some special guests on Jordan, Jesse, Go. This past week, we had the great Sam Regal, one of the stars of Critical Role, one of uh, the internet's most popular YouTube shows slash podcasts slash adult animated series for Amazon Prime slash whatever else. Uh, One of the internet's great guys as well, Sam Regal. And this week, his competitors and bitter rivals in the field of podcast Dungeons and Dragons games. Yeah, that's right. They actively hate each other. (gasps) The McElroy brothers. Uh All three McElroy brothers are coming on Jordan Jesse Go together this week. Wow. Uh, And we haven't recorded this yet, but my presumption is they're just going to spend the entire time tearing down Sam Regal personally. Don't tear down anybody. Good luck to all bands. They're all friends. They're all friends. They're friends. They're some of the nicest people in the world, the McElroys and Sam Regal. But as as John Flansburg once said, as he raised his glass in a cocktail bar where I was lucky to be sitting with him, John Darneal, and Jonathan Colton. Yes, it was a... Summit of the Johns. When a band came up that someone thought another person might not like very much, and that person raised his glass and said, you know what I say, good luck to all bands. <laughs> and I say it in every day. Case, in this case, good luck to all bands of adventurers. Oh, yes, indeed. 
<laughs> anyway, really fun episodes of Jordan Jesse Go. So I hope people will take the opportunity to listen to them. And of course, right around the corner is the Max Fun Drive. So look forward to that. If you're not already a member of Maximum Fun, it will be a great time to join. If you are already a member, you can think about uh, whether you've got the scratch to kick it up a notch. It's going to be a lot of fun, special episodes, special stuff happening across the network uh, starting in late March. It's a special, special time of year. And if you've just started listening to Judge John Hodgman, make sure you listen hard once the Max Fun Drive starts because it's a special, special time of year and I'm really looking forward to it. It's not it's not just the Max Fun Drive. It's also the Max Fun Drive. We have fun and it's going to be a good time. Let's get back to the docket. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. With me, Judge John Hodgman and David Lindsay Abair, Pulitzer Prize winner, of course, for Shrek the Musical, which he wrote. Here's something from Lewis in Brooklyn. I, Lewis G., bring the case against my friend, Lewis M. I'm from Colombia, where Parcheesi is very popular. I did not know this. All my aunts play and they play for money, the equivalent of a quarter for every kill. Mm. They recently sent me a Parcheesi set. I play at my local, Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park. Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park is where Lewis plays Parcheesi. That's a Charlene and Stewart joint. That's a Charlene and Stewart Wellington joint. Uh, Stu, of course, is co-host of the Flophouse podcast on Maximum Fun. This is completely unsolicited, but I'll tell you something. I've been I've been to that bar. Dave Lindsay Abair, you ever been over to Minnie's Bar? Nope. In I'm Sunset no. Park? All right, let's go. Yep. Play some Parcheesi with Lewis. Done. Or will we? Let's find out if he's a fair player. I always start by clarifying the rules, including my family's house rules for roadblocks and rolling multiple doubles. During an amazing Minnie's match, I pulled off a narrow victory just before Lewis M., was about to bring his last piece home. The next day, Lewis said my win was illegitimate. He had checked the internet. It told him that once I had fewer than six spaces to go, I should have switched to using one die instead of two. Mm. I say, with a game as old as Parcheesi, online sources will differ. Only the pregame negotiation of rules matters. Who is the real champion? Parcheesi is indeed an ancient game. Almost as old as Scattergories. No, of course. I mean, it, 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 it dates back to around, at least we, as far as we know, around the first century BC in, in Southeast Asia. And now it's traveled the world. Do you like Parcheesi, David Lindsay Abair? Yeah. Yeah, I do like it. I haven't played it in a while, but I played it a lot when we were younger. Yeah. You ever play it for money, Colombian style? No, I've never heard that. That makes it. I've much never more heard exciting. that before. That yeah. seems really cool. And by the kills, what's being referred to here, I presume, is when you roll the dice and you move, you move your piece and you land on a spot that where an, another player's piece is, and it's not a safe spot, and they get sent back to start. That would be a kill, and I guess you would get a quarter from them. For making that kill. And the roadblocks that Lewis G refers to here, are, I guess what, what I learned were called blockades, which is when you have two of your own pieces on a space, no one can move past them. 
um, not even you. And the goal is to get home. But had you ever heard of this rule of using one die when you have less than six spaces to go and you have only one piece on the board? No, I've never heard that. I've never heard of that either. What do you think about this uh, case? Uh, I don't agree with it because if you need a five to get in, you can get roll a five with two dice. I, I don't understand why you would have to. Right, because in Parcheesi, when you roll, you roll two dice and they're six-sided dice and you can use either the, like, let's say it's a five and a one. You can either move one of your pieces six spaces. Right. Or you can move one piece five spaces and another piece one space. And then there are other variations, not variations, but that's the basics of the game mechanics. So you, I had never heard of this rule before, but Parcheesi, I do believe, is a rule, a game that has been around for a long time. And I'm sure that there are lots and lots of house rules, like there are for Monopoly. What do you think about house rules? Great. So long as you say what they are at the beginning of the game, you can't make up house rules after it's over. Right. Like with, with Anna and her mom in Chicago, if Anna's mom had said, okay, house rule, I'm going to be cruel and treat you the wrong rules of Scrabble and pretend that I know better than you. That would have been fair. That would have been fair. I don't think Anna's mom needs to say that anymore. I think it's a given. Right. I think it's house rules for all parents to say to their kids, yeah, just house rules. I'm going to inadvertently teach you some bad stuff. Right. And uh, mess up your head. I'm sorry. Um, You know, but uh, if you land on free parking enough, you might be able to pay for therapy eventually. Do you put money under under the free parking space in Monopoly? Yeah, we do that. How much do you put in there to start? Any well, we put 500 to start and then whatever money is paid to uh, on, on the cards, whether it's community chest or chance, then that also goes in the middle. So it can pile up. Yeah, well, you can get quite, quite a windfall, yeah. quite a windfall. Uh, you know, the rich uncle penny bags will be swooning, fainting backwards as he often does when he gets a tax refund in his favor or whatever. In this case, we had quite a few Parcheesi disputes and they all revolved really? around... Yes. <laughs> in, part, in part because this game dates back to the first century BC. So there's been a lot of time. I see. A lot of time to build up disputes. Why do you laugh? Do you think there aren't that many Parcheesi players out there? <laughs> I'm surprised to hear that there are so many. I just think of such an old, dusty game, which I enjoyed, but I didn't know that people were still playing it so much. Even if you were to go to the printed rules of Parcheesi, circa 2001, which is the PDF I found, from the Hasbro website or whatever. I mean, there are a lot of rules to Parcheesi. You know, you can move your entered pawns counterclockwise along the path, the number of spaces you roll on the dice. You may move one or two pawns in your turn. Mm -hmm. Uh, No more than two of your pawns can occupy one space. You must move whenever possible. You cannot move by the count of both. If you cannot move by the count of both dice, you may move one pawn. There's a whole lot of rules for how many, what happens if you, roll doubles three times, the third consecutive time you roll doubles, you may not move forward, but what happens, David Lindsay Bear? I don't know what happened. You oh oh wait, I do know. The your pawn that is closest to home gets sent back to the home base. Is that you what happens? Yeah. You gotta start all over. Your yeah. pawn goes all the way back. And then there's this one, capture bonus. After capturing or quote unquote killing a pawn, uh, an opposing pawn, move any one of your pawns an additional 20 spaces at the end of your turn. If you capture during a doubles bonus move, complete your capture bonus before moving again. If you can't move one pawn, the full 20 spaces, you for- you oh, see wow. it goes on. Yeah. It's very, it's very, you could see why. And, and these rules that were printed in 2001 are much more 
complicated and confused than the original printed rules of Parcheesi that I found dating back to when it was created by, well, obviously appropriated and then published for money by Parker Brothers back in the whatever, 19... Because I think I think there are a lot of house rules and I think there are a lot of traditional different ways to play. And there are a lot of exceptions too. So I can understand why there were so many disputes. So I'm going to settle these all in a row real quick. David Lindsay Bear, if you think I'm wrong on this because of your Parcheesi knowledge, you let me know. Okay. So first of all, Richard and Camden, Maine, you are wrong. Your son Noah was perfectly within his rights to bypass his home path to capture your peace. There is nothing in the rule book that said Noah had to go down his home path when he reached it. He is absolutely fine to go ahead and capture your piece and continue the, to play and go around the board another time. And there's also nothing in the rule book that says a, a golden retriever can't play Parcheesi. Has, you have to allow that dog to play. Justine, you are wrong. Per the printed Hasbro rules, you are not allowed to move a two-pawn blockade together to form a new two-pawn blockade, even if the dice roll that way. You owe your sister Melissa decades worth of rematches. This was printed in the Hasbro rules, but not printed in the original Parker Brothers printed rules for Parcheesi because someone had to say, can I move my pieces forming a blockade together? And someone else had to say, no, you can't. It's unsporting. Justine, you're wrong. Hmm. Hollis, your letter is unclear. I don't know what move or combination of moves you employed to prevent Kyle from winning until it was long past midnight and you had ruined New Year's Eve for everyone. But clearly Parcheesi is a mean game. And as long as you followed its many mean rules, including whatever house rules you set up before the game, what you did was, as you wish me to deem, awesome. And finally, Louis G. in Brooklyn, your victory stands. You remain the Parcheesi champion of Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park. Louis M., you can't go looking for rules on the internet after the fact and try to steal that victory back. Plus, I've never, not in any of the printed rules or any variation, have I been able to find anything about having to switch to one die when you're less than six paces away from home. It's just not how it works, Louis M. See you at Minnie's. You want to play some Parcheesi at Minnie's, David Lindsay Bear? Yes. Maybe we should get together with Louis, too. Great. And Louis M., We'll show Lewis M. what's what when it comes to Parcheesi. You know who I'm not going to play with? Who? That mom. No. That mom, Anna's mom in Anna's Chicago. Mom. Yeah. Anna's mom, go play at Hinterlands. Yeah. <laughs> Are you expanding the, the board game band to Parcheesi as well as Scrabble? I'm not playing anything with that lady. I don't like her. Wow. Wow. All right. That's a full band. She's a rude dudette with a bad two debt. She's got nothing going on when it comes to playing games with David Lindsay a bear. You know what? What? I don't want to count up her life tiles at the end of the day. No. I don't think her life tiles are going to be... I'm sure she's a wonderful person. This is terrible. What's that? I'm sure she's nice. She just has this one little thing. She did a a non-nice thing. Yeah, you know what? That's not a life tile in your favor, Anna's mom. You should you should consider that. That's all we're saying. Here's something from Steve in Brooklyn. This is about Monopoly. Great okay. Opening. Boom. Years ago, our younger daughter, Josie, created a scheme in which she sneaks money under her butt and sits on a wad of secret cash. This cash is called 
but money. But money. In Monopoly, the amount of money opponents have in front of them is an important part of deciding whether to purchase a property or build a house. However, but money is the Monopoly version of a Swiss bank account. It seems unfair for Josie to release $1,000 in butt money when we think we've bankrupted her. Please order Josie to cease this practice. David Lindsay Abair, mm-hmm. you enjoy puzzles, right? Sure do. I mean, arguably, Boggle is not a game, but a puzzle. Okay. Right? I mean, okay. You're creating a little word jumble for yourself. Mm-hmm. That has no elegance to it whatsoever. <laughs> the boggle hate. I knew I shouldn't have brought it up. I knew it. Well, people like what they like, and I love you, and you can mm. enjoy whatever you like. But Thanks. that's more of a word. It's more of a word jumble than it is a game. Here's a puzzle. Riddle me this, David Lindsay Bear. Can you spot Steve's first and biggest mistake in the letter that he wrote? Yeah, that he said it was about monopoly. It's not about Monopoly. It's about some dynamic in the family that needs to be investigated. Oh, I thought you were saying his first mistake was they were playing Monopoly, which is arguable. <laughs> I see. That's a better answer. That's that's not what I was saying, though. That's not what I was saying. No, okay. What do you think? His first mistake, in my opinion, and I like Monopoly. I mean, but can I ask you honestly, David Lindsay Bear, have you ever played a game of Monopoly that didn't cause anger? No. Right. That's the whole point. That's the point. And the whole point is to destroy other people and enrich yourself. Yeah. Bankrupt them. The game was designed originally to show the evil. Let's take it. Let's take the moral issue out of it to show the inevitable outcome of capitalism, which is that money amasses to one person. Mm hmm. And everyone else suffers. That there is no fair and equal distribution of the wealth on the board. That it is predatory and cruel. And someone said, that's a fun game. And they stole that idea from that person. Mm-hmm. And sold it for, as their own. Without batting a single eyelash of moral qualm. There's no ethical board gaming under capitalism. No, there is no ethical board gaming under capitalism. But David Lindsay Abair and Jesse Thorne, I would argue that Steve's first mistake... And biggest mistake was saying that part of monopoly strategy is deciding whether or not to buy a property based on monies that other people have. Because what I learned is playing Monopoly on my Macintosh SE. No, I think it was a Performa 145 or something like that. It was one of the built-in games and you could play it at fast speed. And my wife, who's a whole human being in her own right, and I would play Monopoly against each other late into the night in the 90s at the fastest speed possible. So we played hundreds of iterations of Monopoly a night. And what we learned very early on is you buy every property you land on. Right, David Lindsay Bear? Yes. You never and not no. buy a property. No, wait a minute. No. Some if you keep buying all of those properties, you're gonna run out of money. And so if you have just enough and you land on a property that you want, you think, oh I have I have to buy this. But then you look around the table and like well, this joker doesn't have any money. They're not going to buy it. I'm safe. I can go around the board another time and pick up another 200 bucks. Maybe get a little money from chance. Oh, Maybe land on okay. free parking. I'm gonna, I'll be in a better position to not be bankrupted. I'm going to get the next go round. So then you are looking at the other people's piles of money would be 
Please no letters regarding free parking. <laughs> Fair enough. Jeez, you know, I I wish it were, I mean, I wish I hadn't seen what I saw those many late nights in the 90s playing Iteration 900 at 2 a.m. Because what I saw was very clear. The statistics were almost as clear as the data points that have rolled in over the 10 years of this podcast regarding dudes who have systems versus wives who endure them. The smallest, and this is what makes Monopoly so insidious, the smallest early advantage in terms of property acquisition will always lead to an increasing advantage until it becomes exponential and you eventually just win. And you can grind it out. You'll have your ups and downs, but you grind it out. It doesn't matter what the other person has, in my experience, because you know, once I, once I saw through the matrix and I was in game 1000, the odds, the odds were very clear. It's just like buy the property, do what you have to in order to buy every property you land on, because that will give you an edge eventually. But of course this doesn't speak to butt money at all. I'm just identifying what I saw when I went too deep into the, down the monopoly hole. What do you think about butt money and what Josie is up to? David Lindsay and Bear. You know, I'm, very much against it, and yet I love the audacity of it. Yeah. Right? Just hearing about it was a thrill for me. Yeah, it's so brilliant. Like, bam, I've got a thousand bucks, and I'm going to build those hotels over there. It's amazing. And it is in keeping with the capitalistic nature of the game. I mean, as Steve points out, developers are hiding, are hiding their funds all over the world. There is a strategic advantage into having more money than people think you have. I like the idea of playing any board game by prison rules. If you can keister the money, you can play it later. <laughs> I think there should be a house rule that butt money is allowed. If you can sneak that money under your butt, then you have evaded taxation in the eyes of the government, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can deploy those funds later. Now, what's the, what my question to you, David Lindsay Abair, is what's the punishment if Josie gets caught? Sneaking the butt money. In other words, an, an, like her dad or a, another family member sees this happening, calls them out. What's the punishment, if any? I think the call out is the punishment. Hey, everybody, just so you know, Josie's sitting on 700 bucks over there. I saw her put it under her butt. Then, you know, she's, she's got secrets going on. But David Lindsay Abair, hmm? for, for me and arguably maybe for you because you suggested it, Certainly the call out would be a punishment enough. Simply being shown to have done something wrong, to have not followed the rules. I mean, as a, as a rule following only child, that would be basically fatal to me. That would be capital punishment, the call out. But I wasn't the one sneaking the bunny under the butt. Josie doesn't care. Josie, I don't think, is maybe Josie isn't capable of shame or humiliation. Well, are we saying that she is, in fact, breaking the rules? I don't think she is. I'm trying to set up a new rule, hmm. which is that butt money is allowed. You can, mm -hmm. but it's if you sneak the money under your butt, it's allowed. But if you get caught, if someone sees you doing it, it's not just like I see you hiding that money. Mm -hmm. There has to be a penalty, like you go to jail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who am I kidding? That would never happen in capitalism. 
It's not, it's not realistic at all. You'd have to pay a fine of $1. That's basically what would happen, right? If you got caught, if you were, if you were an, if you were a, 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 an entrepreneur in real capitalism and you got caught hiding your money, you would have to pay a fine of a, a nominal fine that would not be, be meaningful to you. But some, right. but some congressperson could say, I made this happen. Well, the risk of dead horsiness, and maybe you want to cut all this out. But when I play Monopoly, I am methodically lay out all my ones and my tens and my twenties and all in a row for everyone to see. I have family members who just have them in a, me a wad of, of bills all piled together. So I don't know how much money they have. It's just this mm. messy, ridiculous pile of paper. So it is the equivalent of butt money because I don't know if that's $12 or if it's $2,000 most of the time. And there's no rule that says, oh, you must lay it out the way that David has laid out everything in a methodical way. Well, there's, there's, no, there's no rule other than the, the law of nature. Mm. When you are given things that you can match into a pattern, you have to do it or else your house is going to collapse. That's how I feel about ordering that money. Well, we like feel I same. have these things. You have to, they can't just be in separate piles. They also have to be facing the same way. Yes. When I worked at the, when I worked at the, uh, the the ticket booth at the Coolidge Corner Theater in Brookline, Massachusetts. You think I was turning in the cash that I had received with the with the president's heads going in different ways? I know you weren't. No, I had to make sure every one of them was facing the right way. I touched every one of those bills multiple times. Just in case you worried that my saliva wasn't on a bill that you passed me. It was there. I see. there. The capitalist meditation. Touch bills. Same way, same way Boggle is, a, is, a, is an affront against nature. The, the letters are going in different ways. That's not how you that's, spell words. That's part of the challenge. So what are, you, what are we saying here? David Lindsay Abair, what's your final ruling? But money, okay? Or is it, is it a wad pile that you cannot abide by? I'm for it. I like it. I know, I know, I know it's the wrong answer. But I can't let go of the fact that Why I Why do you think it's the wrong answer? It's your judgment. Well, it seems like highly deceptive in a way that Monopoly is, you know, problematic for lots and lots of reasons. Deception seems like not the top of the list. So that's that's what feels wrong, but do you and are you also arguing that having a big wad of cash that isn't nicely laid out John Hodgman slash David Lindsay Abair style is also deceptive or just not in my family. That's just it's untidy. Sh it's just untidy. It's just sheer laziness. Ugh. I know. I can't. I just. Yeah. I find that much more offensive than the butt. The butt, butt money. I would say that uh, it is a it is an acceptable house rule, but there has to be a penalty if you get caught. If you get caught stealing, and the penalty has to be appropriate to our capitalistic system. So, basically, it cannot hurt Josie in any way or cause meaningful harm whatsoever to her accrued butt fortune. <laughs> And also, it's not even saying like if she gets caught putting it into the butt money pile under the butt and you get caught, she doesn't even have to give it back. It stays there under the butt. You just have to give $1 back to the bank or wherever or $1 to each player. Keep an eye. Keep an eye on Josie. That's what you got to do. We got to keep an eye. We need regulation. We need regulation. That's true of most butts. David Lindsay Bear, I'm going to hand out life tiles now. Let's see. Jesse Thorne. You got to plug your aunt's business and you uh, have a wonderful podcasting network. Uh, you have an incredibly uh, cozy looking orange sweater. I'm going to give you 
uh, and, uh, and a, 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 a terrific wife and family uh, and a great uh, car, which has a Max Fun license plate on it. Give you 200 life tiles. Thank you. Nice. Uh, Valerie Moffat, you're, you, you've, had, you've had an incredible run this month. Stepping in for Jennifer Marmer as she goes on maternity leave. She's in her own car playing the game of life out there. Not able to produce this podcast for the moment. You're doing a great job. You stepped in as interim producer. Obviously, you're editing the podcast all the time. You did a great job producing us on the road as we were out there in the world. And we, all, everyone, all the listeners have been enjoying the fruits of your hard labor. Uh, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you 250 life tiles. Oh, thanks, John. You're in a great spot. David Lindsay, a bear. I don't know what to say. You got a, you got a show on Broadway right now called Kimberly Akimbo, a musical theater comedy with heart. It's terrific. I mean, it's really great. You co-created with Janine Tesori, one of the, one of the top Broadway talents. She really is. And it's in the Booth Theater in New York City. Which, you know, it's it's uh, it's an incredible shop for Kimberly Akimbo merch that happens to have a theater inside of it. In the in New York City, one of one of the biggest cities in the world, and in terms of theater, in terms of Broadway style musical theater, I, I would argue the top the top place in the world. You've got a wonderful house with a turret that you decorate for Halloween, and uh, you know a lot about board games, and you're a nice person. You know what I'm giving a thousand life tiles. Wow. Thanks, John. Right. You can turn that in for money when you die. Fun you, game. But you know what I didn't know? You don't You don't know. What? I have butt tiles. Oh, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's an extra thousand for me. The docket is clear. That's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Judge John Hodgman was created by Jesse Thorne and John Hodgman. Our producer is Valerie Moffett. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. You can follow us there for evidence and other photographs from the show. And check out the Maximum Fun subreddit to discuss this episode at MaximumFun.reddit.com. Now, Judge Hodgman, we have a very specific case need this week. That's right, Jesse. We need your disputes about the theater. You know, I was born for the theater, as one of our favorite litigants once said. Do you have a dispute regarding the theater? Do you have a dispute? Did you not get the role that you felt you deserved in your high school production of Pirates of Penzance? Do you believe that one filmed version of West Side Story is superior to another filmed version of West Side Story? Do you, like our producer Valerie, just have a lot of thoughts about when Documentary Now did that parody of uh, that documentary about the recording of the original cast album of Company. Are you Katie Finnerin, my co-star in the uh, in the upcoming Hulu musical romantic comedy Up Here? Are you Marissa Corbell, my co-star in the 1998 San Francisco School of the Arts production of Little Shop of Horrors? Right. So, did you Katie or Marissa uh have a dispute with us or 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 a beef with us back when we performed together? I actually think Marissa might. So maybe we <laughs> just Katie Sorry, Marissa. <laughs> Water under the bridge, I hope. Whether it's musical theater, uh, d- dramatic theater, legit theater, off-Broadway, Broadway, off, 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 off-Broadway, uh, high school, elementary school, community, or any other kind of theater, whether it's a thing you like better than another thing or something that happened to you personally when you are treading those boards, we need your theater disputes. Send them in 
to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. That's MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Hold for applause. No case too big or too small. We judge them all. Submit them at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.